Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined this week by Solis Chuku in Lagos, Nigeria, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we brace up for the 2022 World Cup qualifying playoffs, with Ghana having only named their squad three days ahead of their first leg with Nigeria. Also, we take a look at Pierre Emerick Aubameyang's return to form with Barcelona. He's someone who has, over the course of his career, proven to be a goalscorer of, you know, distinct excellence. That's coming later. Plus, a Stewart on the English Premier League and the UEFA Champions League. So the 2022 World Cup qualifying playoffs for Africa are on. The first legs on Friday. The second legs on next Tuesday, the 29th. Ten teams are there. There are five ties, and the winners qualify for the 2022 World Cup finals in Qatar later this year. So we have Egypt against Senegal, Mohamed Salah versus Sadio Mane, Cameroon playing Algeria, Ghana against Nigeria, DR Congo Morocco, and Mali facing Tunisia. Well, Ida's away this week, so our guest analyst is Solis Chukwu, African football expert in Lagos in Nigeria.、Uh, so, Solis, you're there in the midst of this huge West African derby.、Uh, strange that Ghana only released their squad on Tuesday,、uh, just three days before the first leg. Yeah, it, quite bizarre、um, decision on the part of the Ghana Football Association to leave their, you know, squad announcement so late. I think really it comes down to the fact that. Coming out of the Africa Cup of Nations in Cameroon and、um, the grave disappointment that Black Stars suffered, I, I think they just felt it was necessary to do something different, if only to give themselves some sort of edge against Nigeria. Let's not forget that Ghana have, you know, they've been, they've gone through a lot of upheaval in the aftermath of that disappointment at the Afcon. They have a whole new、um, coaching crew in place now. And you know, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding exactly how this team is going to play. Now,、um, that that's that's a disadvantage for Ghana in itself. But、um, by withholding the squad like this and keeping things under wraps, they probably are trying to project some kind of strength. So I think really it's more a mental thing, more of like a mind game. Um, sort of situation from the Ghana FA trying to almost psych out Nigeria in a way. I mean, nothing really is going for them. And if you look at the form of these two teams, yes, Nigeria also went out in round of 16, but their play was really impressive. They were up until that point one of the more heralded teams of the tournament. So when you look at that, you you see that there's really quite a gulf between. The standard of these two sides at the moment. So Ghana clearly felt that by withholding、um, information on their squad until as late as they possibly could, they were probably going to psych out Nigeria a little bit and make、um, their opponents a little uncertain as to what they are trying to do.、Um, whether that's going to be effective or not remains to be seen. I mean, it's not a decision that was well received even in Ghana, but it's something that the FA、um, have decided to commit to. And let's see if that plays into a good result for them on the day against Nigeria. It's a it's a really really huge game, and、um, neither side can afford to lose it. Yes, indeed, and it's going to be painful for the losers of these playoff ties. We asked for your thoughts on social media on this last week. Which African teams you think will make it to the World Cup?、Uh, lots of patriotism, as you would imagine. So in Nigeria, Judon Chukweke and Stanley Nyanpal both say the Super Eagles will make it. 
Interesting, though, not everybody does、uh, in Nigeria.、Uh, Chizoba Makata Kingsley says, "I am Nigerian, but I don't want Nigeria to qualify for the World Cup. They should go and fix Nigeria first," says Kingsley. And Gaucho Morera in Ghana says, "I was born in Nigeria, but I don't want Nigeria to qualify." And Emmanuel Owoji in Nigeria says, "The Super Eagles are going nowhere." On the Algeria-Cameroon tie, Rose Kh in Algeria is tipping the Desert Foxes,、uh, but the other side, Tebo Tebolosko in Cameroon, says Cameroon, the father of African football, is qualifying with no doubt, and Abashel Sapatu also tipping the Indomitable Lions. Sideko Suno in the Gambia says Senegal and Ghana will make it to the World Cup, and also on that big Egypt-Senegal clash, Kingsford Heris in Ghana says Egypt will make it. Mohamed Zoudi in Somalia tips Senegal, and Sheikh Tidiane Tiandoum says at the World Cup it's going to be Senegal there representing Africa. And finally, Malang Sambu in Italy says, "I know all of these qualifiers will be mouth-watering. I'm thinking the first legs can't decide anything, and I reckon Senegal, Cameroon, Nigeria, Mali, and Morocco will go through." Says Malang. Well, thanks very much for those comments. Always great to hear from you. We'll be following these games over the next few days and looking back on them on next week's show. Just wonder who the five teams will be to represent Africa at the World Cup. Well, as well as those World Cup qualifiers, the road to the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations final started on Wednesday,、uh, with the first leg of the preliminary round ties. Second legs are coming in the next few days, and the winners of the ties go to the group stage of qualifying.、Uh, so mostly small teams, besides the Gambia, quarter finalists at this year's Africa Cup of Nations, and the Scorpions won 1-0 away to Chad in their first leg. Eswatini winning 3-0 away to Somalia.、Uh, South Sudan getting a four. Two win away to Djibouti, a nil-nil between Seychelles and Lesotho, and Sao Tome getting a pretty good one-nil win at home to Mauritius. And in the CAF Champions League, just one round of games to go now in the group stage. That's on next weekend, and、uh, things are almost decided now.、Uh, last weekend, Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa made it five wins out of five,、uh, with a 4-2 win away to Al Hilal of Sudan. Also through to the quarterfinals, Raja Casablanca of Morocco, Antoine Setif of Algeria, Esperance of Tunisia, Siar Belouzadad of Algeria, Wydad Casablanca of Morocco, and Petro Atletico of. Of Angola, with Al Ahly of Egypt set to take the other spot, they only need a draw at home to Al Hilal next weekend. And a Sudanese club, El Marek, fired their English coach Lee Clark after a 3-1 loss to Al Ahly.、Uh, Clark only took charge of Al Marek、uh, back on the 29th of January,、uh, less than two months this time in his second stint with the club. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport.、Uh, still to come, Stuart looks at the Africans still standing in the UEFA Champions League and also in the Europa League. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, now let's talk about Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. The Gabon captain has revived his club career with a move to Barcelona in January, and he scored twice in the El Clasico last Sunday as Barca won 4-0 away to Real Madrid. Aubameyang left Arsenal after a fallout with manager Mikel Arteta towards the end of last year. 
and he even took a swipe at the Gunners after the El Clasico, saying hello from the finished player. Well, Solis Chukwu, our guest analyst on the show this week, still with us from Lagos in Nigeria. And Solis, not many Africans have done well at Barca, have they? Yeah, um, in, in, you know, generally down the years, Barcelona has not tended to be a great destination for African players. I mean, um, I don't think since, not since Seducata, um during the all-conquering Barcelona era with uh, Pep Guardiola in charge, has an African been particularly influential at Barcelona. Um, obviously, there are a lot of factors one could point out to, you know, Barcelona prioritizing their youth, their youth system for quite a while. And so, yeah, there's that. I mean, at one time they brought in Alex Song, who did really well at Arsenal and he didn't quite fit in. So it's really recruitment for Barcelona is always tricky, especially once they decide to go outside the club. So you can sort of understand why African players have not tended to, you know, do great there and don't go there in great numbers. However, um, Aubameyang is very much one who bucks the trend in that he's someone who has, over the course of his career, proven to be a goal scorer of, you know, distinct excellence. I mean, he scored everywhere he's played, and he's pretty much a guarantee. Uh, his, his struggles at Arsenal sort of made it so that a lot of people forgot that. He's someone who, if you create chances for him, he will, he will score goals. So, you, toward the end of his time at Arsenal, with um, Coach Mikel Arteta going in a different direction, um, favoring a more the striker who is more aggressive without the ball, who tracks back more, who does a lot more running, um, putting pressure on the ball. Um, you have Aubameyang doing this long, like 60, 70 yard sprints just to keep the team compact and get back into shape. And really, when you look at poachers and the way they play, pure goal scorers tend not to do well, you know, when tasked with pressing very heavily, especially. Uh, when you're going backwards because this is a particular category of player who their entire thing is calmness in front of goal to finish and really it's not amenable to herring all across the pitch and trying to put in work obviously not to say that a high work rate is not required i mean even at Barcelona, um Aubameyang has to do it more than his fair share of tracking but i think it's just a system that's set up better to take advantage of his strengths um, Barcelona needed they needed goals in the team, and in January they went out and got a couple of players who have translated um, that desire into reality for them. And Aubameyang is really at the forefront of that. Um, Barcelona create chances, you know, pretty much regularly. Under Xavi, they play a more direct style of football than they usually do typically, and that has favored Aubameyang, you know, by getting the ball out to the wingers who put in crosses for the forward by, you know being more direct and not letting opponents like get into a deep block before um, before creating chances. That's been more to Aubameyang's liking and taste. And so far we've seen, if nothing else, that put in, put in the right environment and with the right quality of chances, you know, fed into him, he will definitely score goals. Yes, Aubameyang is still one of the best goal scorers in the world. And I think maybe a lot of us have kind of forgotten that uh, with that difficult spell in the last few months of last year at uh, Arsenal. Uh, now we have the international break on at the moment. So uh, taking a look at the other leagues of Europe, Solis, can you pick out a few Africans who've been impressing? Um, you look beyond the regular, the usual big hitters, like, uh, for example, a player like Mohamed Salah, who is once again having an outstanding season for Liverpool and is um, backing up their title challenge in a, in a major way. I mean, in La Liga, for example, Bono has been great. 
um, Yasin Bono, who is the goalkeeper at Sevilla. He's really underpinned their um, title charge, even though that stalled on account of a number of draws recently. But he's been one of the most impressive goalkeepers in La Liga with his reflexes. Um, and he's, some of his outstanding saves, especially from long range, really, really brilliant on his part. But beyond those really obvious names, um, the performances of a player like Moses Simon in Ligue 1 have been really transformative for Nantes. Uh, not a really modest side. They look like they were possibly going down last season. But this year, under um, the leadership of Anton Comboare on the bench and with Moses Simon really turning up, they are pushing for the European places at this point, which is an impressive turnaround. And it's really te- testament to the work Comboare has done, but also the level of responsibility that Simon has taken in this in this team and in the lineup. Um, he takes free kicks. He assists goals. He plays both wide and, you know, in bigger games, they tend to favor a different system. So he has to play up front, but he contributes just the same. So, um, yeah, his performance, I think, is really worth highlighting. Um, a player like, still in Ligue 1, a player like Seko, Seko Fufana at Lons, who for like two and a half years now has been the driving force of um, a very impressive Launch team. Um, it's really unfortunate that he opted out of the Africa Cup of Nations because he would have been a real, um, real joy to work in that Ivorian midfield as well. So, um, you know, you go over to Italy, for example, and you see um, the work that Victor Simen and Andre Franz Zambangisa are doing at Napoli, um, leading their title challenge. I mean, Napoli have not won the Scudetto in like over te- over 30 years at this point so it's a real quest for them and Osimen's goals have been invaluable for for the Azuri and then you look in, in midfield and see the work that Angisa gets through controlling the play and giving Napoli a solid pa- platform to play out of I mean they're one of the most impressive sides in possession in Serie A and um, these two players are crucial Osimen for his goals Angisa for his control for his you know clean passing and then at the back, Kalidou Koulibaly, the, the titan, the giants, keeping it all together by keeping things tight at the back. So um, all over Europe, really, Africans are impressing in a major way and are really proving really, really important for their teams, whether it's in terms of their European aspiration or even in terms of actually chasing titles. Interesting. Thanks, Solis. So those outstanding Africans in Europe that Solis mentioned there, uh, Bono or Yassine Bonou, uh, the Morocco national team goalkeeper playing for Sevilla in La Liga. Uh, Moses Simon, the Nigerian playing in France with Nantes. Uh, Sekou Fofana, who plays for Lance in France, the Ivorian midfielder. And then at Napoli in Italy, there's that trio of Victor Osimen, the Nigerian, Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa, the Cameroonian, and also Kalidou Koulibaly the big Senegalese defender. Now next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, show brought to you by Passion for Sport, I've been speaking to one of the biggest figures in women's football on the continent. That's South Africa's Fran Hilton-Smith. Now Fran is a former coach of the South Africa women's national team. She's a former head of women's football and technical advisor at the South Africa Football Association. Uh, currently a CAF instructor and a Kasafa instructor, a Kasafa being the Southern African football body. Now, Fran has written a book that was published recently. It's called A Song for Banyana, as in the nickname for the South Africa women's national team, Banyana Banyana. 
is full of history and insights into women's football on the continent and it contains many, many gripping stories. Uh, now, South Africa was admitted to FIFA in 1992 after the end of apartheid and Fran had been involved in the development of women's football in South Africa from the 1980s. So I first asked Fran Hilton-Smith about the opportunities that the admission to FIFA brought to women's football in South Africa. Women's football was around in the 60s, 70s, 80s, but uh, because of apartheid then, it was very difficult for all the races to play together. So the Women's Football, South African Women uh, uh, Football Association was originally a white body, and then uh, we incorporated a lot of coloured players from Cape Town, Port Elizabeth, and in the late 80s, 90s, I started getting black women involved in the sport because even though it was still apartheid, people didn't really worry about the women playing football together. So we started multiracial football. So by the time... We were incorporated back into FIFA and we joined then SAFA, the new football body of South Africa. We were already a multiracial body, so it was easy to get uh, affiliated and to get back into CAF competitions, and uh, which of course were qualifiers for FIFA World Cup. Well, it must have been very exciting. Uh, tell us more about those early years with uh, Banyana Banyana, the uh, national women's team. Well, of course, it was very difficult in the beginning in the 90s because Nigeria had been the first country to qualify for a FIFA World Cup, being the only country that was competing. So from 91, 95, they attended the World Cup and got all that background got all that experience. So when we came back in, we had a big hill to climb to try and compete with Nigeria. And it was actually many, many years later that we finally beat them when uh, the captain, Janine van Weyck, scored a goal from the halfway line uh, and beat uh, Nigeria. Subsequently, now we have beaten them. Tembi Khatlana's brilliant goal, which won the African player of the year against men and women a few years back so it took us many years to catch Nigeria and of course at the time only one team qualified for the World Cup so it just was impossible and then when it became two or three we still had struggles but finally of course in 2019 we qualified for France it took 20 years but we finally got there a dream came true for me and for the team and everyone involved. So, Fran, you were the first female football coach in South Africa, and uh, you encountered a lot of opposition. Perhaps now we might say, incredibly, you had a lot of opposition, but we're talking of 30 years ago, and uh, things were different then. Yeah, it was very difficult of that, there's no doubt. I was the first woman coach um, there were no women coaching, it just wasn't heard of, and I had to fight to get into all the coaching courses because the men, obviously, had also been deprived in the apartheid time, so when they had, like, the first CAF course and first fever courses, the men wanted them, and I had a big fight on my hands to get myself in, 
But uh, I managed to do that and did my licenses with all the men. And that's where I made the decision to to get more women involved in coaching, especially former national players. And I, over the years, managed to get 27 women to get their CAF A license, which is more than any other country in Africa. So we have... Uh, all our women's teams are coached by women um, who have a CAFE license. And subsequently, I've made that my mission also in Africa to get women qualified and coaching at the highest level. And how have you seen attitudes changing over the years? Well, they've definitely changed. I mean, Many countries have had women coaches. I, even if I look at Zimbabwe, we've got Rosemary there, who's coached on many occasions the national team. Um, Botswana have had a woman coach. Namibia, Jackie Shapanga, um, who's also one of my protégés and one of the other FIFA instructors from the South. Um, so... I think over the years, the attitudes change. It's still incredibly difficult for women to to get positions because uh, football is still very patriarchal and uh, men still want to, to be coaching the teams. It's a, a career opportunity. So there still are not very many women coaches in, uh, in the limelight, but we've got to keep pushing. And uh, now that's all I do in my life is, is uh, assist CAF and Kasafa to develop more women coaches and instructors to develop more women in the game. But uh, it's an area that needs definitely a lot more development um, going forward. So insights there into the journey of women's football in Africa, which is certainly not finished yet. I was speaking there to Fran Hilton-Smith, former coach of the South Africa women's national team, currently a CAF instructor and one of the biggest figures in the history of women's football on the continent. Uh, more of this interview on the show next week. And uh, Fran's new book is called A Song for Banyana. Right now, let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. So it's an international break. We can catch up on things. And uh, Stuart, Man City and Liverpool still on course for the domestic double. Well, yes, last weekend's FA Cup quarterfinals did not produce any shocks, with Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester City all winning away against teams they would really have been expected to beat. I suppose Crystal Palace beating Everton 4-0 caused a shock and certainly caused a lot of problems for poor old Frank Lampard. Lampard was critical of his team's character, saying they had performed at 70% and that simply wasn't good enough. And he added that he had no magic wand and that Everton were in a real fight to stay in the Premier League. And he questioned whether the player's character was enough to see them through. But now the semi-finals will feature... The all-London tie, Crystal Palace against Chelsea, with Liverpool playing Manchester City. Incidentally, Steve, Crystal Palace, based in London, played in London in the third, fourth, fifth and sixth rounds of the FA Cup. They will play the semi-final and potentially the final in the capital, so they could win the Cup without moving out of London. 
the FA Cup semi-finals are traditionally at Wembley, but this year with Liverpool and Manchester City playing, the clubs have made a joint request for the game to be played in a more convenient location. For example, Old Trafford uh, in Manchester would be about 35 kilometres from Liverpool and even more convenient for Manchester City. But it looks as if the FA is going to put money before fans and insist that 60,000 fans make a 400-kilometre round trip to London for the game. But isn't it fascinating, Steve, how sometimes the way the fixtures come out? On Sunday the 10th of April, Manchester City are at home to Liverpool in what frankly could be the league decider. And six days later, they meet again in the FA Cup semi-final. And with the top three playing in the Cup last weekend, the emphasis in the Premier League was on the battle for fourth place, the final Champions League slot. With Arsenal beating Aston Villa, Tottenham beating West Ham, that leaves Arsenal, Tottenham, Manchester United and West Ham separated by less than six points. And unless Chelsea, being for sale, causes them to take their eye off the ball, then only one of those clubs will get a Champions League place and Arsenal, for the moment, are in the box seat. And Arsenal are on an amazing run at the moment, having won their last five away games, something which they had not previously done for seven years. And they've also kept 13 clean sheets in the Premier League with their new goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale, arguably the best goalkeeper in the Premier League at the moment. It just suddenly begins to look as if Mikel Arteta has put his stamp on the Gunners at long last. Yes, it certainly does. Uh, much better fortunes now for the Gunners, so it should be an exciting few weeks ahead. And the uh, quarterfinals of the UEFA Champions League coming up on the 5th and 6th of April, Stuart, and Chelsea-Real Madrid, the standout tie. Yes, Chelsea-Real Madrid, Manchester City-Atletico, Villarreal-Bayern and Benfica-Liverpool. Four fascinating ties. You might say that Liverpool will be favourites to beat Benfica, and you could say that Bayern should beat Villarreal. But then who expected Villarreal to go to Juventus and win? Atletico showed in eliminating Manchester United that they're not the most exciting team to watch. But my goodness me, aren't they well organised and effective? It won't be easy for Manchester City. But Chelsea-Real Madrid, that is intriguing. Real, of course, were almost eliminated in the last round, but for that amazing three-goal comeback in the last 30 minutes against Paris Saint-Germain with Karim Benzema scoring all three goals. But at this stage, there's some confusion as to which team will be at home in the first leg. The draw says Chelsea, but Chelsea are sort of trying to switch ties in the hope that by playing it later, the club might be under new management and that they would be allowed to sell tickets, which uh, they're currently banned from as long as Roman Abramovich owns the club. But actually, there's been a development. Tickets are going to be sold, but Chelsea are not allowed to have any of the income. So at least there will be fans watching. And I reckon there are 11 Africans still involved in the Champions League. Atletico Madrid have Mandava Renildo from Mozambique and Jeffrey Condogbia, from Central African Republic. Uh, Liverpool, of course, have Salah and Mane. Manchester City have Mares. Chelsea have Hakim Ziyech. Villarreal have Bulaya Dia from Senegal and Samuel Chukwesi from Nigeria. And, of course, our old friend Serge Aurier 
from Ivory Coast who played for Tottenham. Then Bayern have Bonassar from Senegal and Eric Chupomotting uh, from Cameroon. You know, the player who struggled at Stoke City but who's become a star at PSG and Bayern. Now, in the Europa League, West Ham play Lyon and West Ham got through with a goal from Yarmolenko, the Ukrainian, and that was a very poignant moment given what's happening at the moment in Ukraine. Frankfurt play Barcelona, Leipzig play Atlanta, and Braga from Portugal play Glasgow Rangers from Scotland. And again, there's quite a number of African players involved. Uh, Leipzig have Amadou Hadara from Mali, Lyon have Tino Kadweri from Zimbabwe and Carl Toko Ikambi from Cameroon. Barcelona, of course, have Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Braga have Al-Mohamed Al-Musrati from Libya. And then Rangers have got three Nigerians, Leon Balogun, Joe Aribo and Calvin Bassi. Also, Amadialo, the Manchester United Ivorian, uh, on loan at Rangers, and Fashion Sakala uh, from Zambia. Then West Ham have Arthur Masuaka uh, from DR Congo and Saeed Ben Rama from Algeria. Isn't it amazing how many Africans keep popping up no matter which league you look at? It absolutely is. Uh, thanks a lot, Stuart. Uh, looking forward to those games. So no English Premier League this weekend as is an international break. Uh, World Cup qualifiers on all around the globe and all around Africa. So in the next few days, we'll know who Africa's five representatives will be at the World Cup finals in Qatar later on this year. Well, that's it for the show for this week. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solis Chukwu, our guest analyst in Lagos, Nigeria, and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.